welcome to the Asimov Cast. Short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lozzie. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at AsimovCast or email to AsimovCast at gmail.com. This week we're covering The Evitable Conflict. The Evitable Conflict was first published in 1950 in the June issue of Astounding Science Fiction. Some years after the events of Evidence, Stephen Byerley is the coordinator, effectively the President of Earth. He sits in his study speaking to his guests, Dr. Susan Calvin of US Robotics and Mechanical Men Corporation. Stephen is concerned there are small indicators of creeping failure and unexpected inefficiency across the globe. World steel is overproducing, the Mexican Canal is two months behind schedule, the mercury mines in Al Madden have been underproducing, and the hydroponics engineers in Tianjin are being laid off. These are all small issues that are easily resolved, but Stephen's concern is what this says about the machines behind them. Is there a fundamental problem? Stephen is reflecting on human history, on periods and cycles that were defined by conflicts and schisms that inevitably led to the use of force, and would last just long enough until they were eclipsed by new problems. He refers to the Habsburg-Bourbon conflicts of the 1700s, the religious wars between Protestant and Catholic in Europe, the industrialization in England, the nationalism on the continent, the imperialist wars about carving up the non-European world for Europeans. In the 20th century, ideological wars started, applying religious fervour to economic systems. The wars remained inevitable, but were now leveraged by atomic weapons. And then, positronic robots came along. With robots and interplanetary travel, suddenly the cycle seemed broken. The competition between groups diminished, and the Earth's economy was stable. Decisions are made based on the recommendations of incredible complex and powerful calculating machines. These machines adhere to the three laws, and particularly the overwhelming weight of the first law, and this has led to stability, to no unemployment, no shortages, no overproduction. Waste and famine are history. Ownership of the means of production has become obsolete. This stability has led to the end of wars, not just the last cycle of them, but the next and future cycles, unless the machines don't fulfill their function. And this is why the trifling inefficiencies Stephen noted earlier are such a concern. Are they actually a symptom of an underlying failing with the machines? Are they cracks in the foundation of all society? The machines themselves are so complex and built on so many layers of smart machines, building more smart machines and more smart machines, that they resist investigation by the human engineers of US robotics. Stephen exasperated even asked the machine what caused the discrepancies, to which its response was, the matter admits of no explanation. In frustration, Stephen refers to the robo-psychology expert, and Susan is here. Susan is not sure why she's here. The machines are positronic, but they lack personality. There is limited opportunity for three-law interplay, so she's not sure that her usual methods will help. But Stephen offers to tell her his theories and see whether she thinks robo-psychology comes into play. Assuming the machines are sound, they must be given the real, wrong input data. 
Steven has just returned from his planetary inspection tour to all four regions of Earth. Each one has a machine, and each machine is yielding imperfect results. He runs through the record of each of his interviews with the regional vice coordinators. He also mentions the Society for Humanity, an offshoot group of fundamentalists who want to stop all robotics on the grounds of unfair labour laws. Stephen starts recounting his trips to each region, starting with the eastern region, capital Shanghai, population 1.7 billion, area 7.5 million square miles, containing China, India, Southeast Asia and Indonesia. The Tianjin hydroponics work helps grow a huge amount of food, but several vats have been shut down recently. It's a complex process driven heavily by different types of yeast, and these are what make for different tastes for each grown food. There are minor inefficiencies when different fads and flavours come and go, but there was also a plant shutdown, running a less effective form of iodine production that had forced to close due to competition. This happens from time to time, but it's a surprise that the machine hadn't warned the owner, Rama Vryasana. But Rama has accepted a new engineering role, and otherwise, uh, having lost his com- his uh, factory, he's still relatively content. The next region is the Tropic region. Africa south of the Atlas Mountains, Central America, South America north of Argentina, Arabia and Iran. 22 million square miles, 500 million people capitaled in Nigeria. It's a region growing through migration to it. But the canal being built in Mexico is behind schedule and they're a bit short on labour. The canal was on schedule six months earlier and suddenly not and the regional coordinator remembers something had happened with a guy called Francisco Villafranca. He was an engineer in charge and there was a cave-in. He'd claimed the machine's advice had changed. He'd done as he was initially asked. He blamed the machine, he blamed everyone else and quit in a huff. He had been part of the Society for Humanity though and was considered ever so slightly a crackpot. They were only two months behind schedule, so no real harm. In the somewhat tired European region, 300 million people, 4 million square miles, capital in Geneva, they view themselves an economic appendage of the northern region. The area also includes continental Europe and all around the Mediterranean, plus Uruguay, Argentina and Chile as well. It's a pleasant place to live, but a not particularly dynamic existence. In Almaden, there's been a failing mine in the control of consolidated cinnabar. Mercury production has dropped dramatically. The regional controller thinks they've probably not been listening to the machine, but notes it's not really critical. they sold to a contingent of Spaniards and production will return to normal shortly. The northern region, 18 million square miles, population of 800 million and capital Ottawa, covers North America above the Rio Grande, Russia, Great Britain, and, somewhat oddly, Australia and New Zealand. The regional vice coordinator is an expert in robotics, and is advising Stephen on the likelihood of false data being inputted to the machine, given not just the human checks and balances they have, but the fact that the machine just wouldn't accept obviously wrong data. The only way to truly pass false data to a machine would be as a part of a large, subtly altered whole, which is beyond human capability or in a subject beyond the machine's experience, something which was increasingly rare. In a situation with cotton buying, though, human beings can't be replaced by the machine. This is a subject where a reaction to the feel and blend of cotton that buyers rely on cannot be quantified and turned into an algorithm. 
The Society for Humanity doesn't understand these subtle differences and can't work out when and where humans can't be replaced. Finally, the capital of Earth, 54 million square meters, uh, square miles, sorry, of land, 3.3 billion population is New York, where Stephen continues his discussion with Susan. He thinks all the regional leaders are downplaying this. If the machines can't be wrong, and they can't be fed incorrect data, then surely people must be ignoring the advice. If they can do this and undermine faith in the machines, the regions will start competing and it could lead to war. Stephen deepens his conspiracy thoughts. The northern region is the most powerful, but the eastern tropics are gaining rapidly. Maybe the north feels, fears this and its organisation, the Society for Humanity, is manipulating events. After all, at least three of the events Stephen is concerned with overlap with society membership. Stephen is convinced the society must be outlawed. Members must be removed from positions of authority, and all future applicants must swear a non-society oath. Susan is appalled at this, and says it won't work. Further to this, he's missing a key fact, and his conspiracy that the society is pushing people to ignore the machines is heavily flawed. In fact, the machines know the executive has a tendency to disobey. This is part of its data input. It incorporates that data into its model and will bias its answers just so, so the executive concerned will fall into line with the true answer. The machine knows nothing is actually wrong. The machines have the responsibility to all of humanity, so their first law becomes, no machine may harm humanity or through inaction. Allow humanity to come to harm. The machines themselves are the ones shaking the boat, loosening them just so that humans who might become harmful become less critical. The machines cannot truly harm them, but Vryasana loses his factory and gets another job. Consolidated Cinnabar loses a mercury production facility. Villafranca is no longer in charge of an important project. Stephen is unsure. This is conjecture. But Susan points out what the machine itself said when this question was put to it. It did not say there was no explanation, but merely that the matter admitted none. It cannot provide the explanation because this, by human psychology, would lead to unhappiness and the hurting of pride, and this would breach the true first law. In fact, the Society for Humanity has this, to an extent, right. Mankind has lost its own say in its future, but the difference is it never really had one. The economic and sociological factors it did not understand, the whims of climate or the fortunes of war, continuously buffeted it. All conflicts now, however, finally, are inevitable. Only the machines are inevitable. So this was a, a pretty long story, um, and there were some loads of things that sort of inspired me and made me think in this. Um, this the very somewhat randomly colonial uh, way the world is divided into the four regions is sort of quite funny. Um, and the groupings of them together is is interesting. The, <laughs> the tropics re uh, region um, w was a particularly interesting one, I think. Um, but they also commented that they'd eliminated the setsi fly and the malaria carrying mosquitoes. So, you know, really demonstrating the strength and um, ability of these regions to deliver more uh, and the world to deliver more for for a wider group of people once they're not concerned with um, with conflict and and listening to the machines i think it's a really interesting world building sort of set in the future about how 
how Earth uh, might evolve um, in uh, in terms of its organisational structure. Um, I think the cotton buying point um, and how uh, a robot could never do that was an interesting but perhaps slightly naive one based on understandings of robotics at the time. I think you know you could you can do an awful lot of empirical comparisons between cotton sampling and you know what the response is of um of individual buyers uh and you know frankly you know now you could probably do an awful lot of that automation um i think the society for humanity as a sort of analogy for luddites from the industrial revolution was an interesting one um or even though they to be honest sound slightly more like a, a group of x-men villains um but uh the the uh the disparagement which with which they're treated is interesting. Um, I think Stephen's attempt to fully outlaw them is very clearly flawed, um, and Susan's right to step on it straight away. Um, I think the really interesting thing about this is uh, how much it's about big data, true big data. And big data is not just lots of data, but an amount of data so transformative that it can't really be truly understood by humans. Um, that's where... You know, we see modern machine learning and, and what are called AI algorithms applied to data sets because the volume is so vast that true um, interpolations could be made um, from that set. Uh, it's not intelligence. It's just huge, huge, huge volumes of data that are not understandable by or processable by a human. Um, finally, I would say, like, it's... We were left at the end of the previous story with a sort of clear hint and a wink that Stephen is a robot. Um, it, this story is much less, he's much less robotic. Uh, so it's very interesting that uh, Asimov never confirmed which, which side of that he is and whether or not actually he um, uh, he is human or not. He's, certainly his reactions are uh, perhaps not as, not first first law style reactions like his his desire to um to ban these things uh to ban, to ban the society for humanity his reactions to um the machines are quite emotional um which is positronic but um and personality driven uh but uh, again it leaves us leaves us open to interpret where he is um and then finally where i found joy uh this is the first proper um definition of the zeroth law uh which is uh the tagline for the for the podcast and and uh, one of my favorite things in asimov it's not called the zeroth law here um that comes later but um it's great to see it and i, I really love that concept and how you take something as core as the three laws as, as, a, as a sort of simple principle and all of these short, short stories to be honest have been about inspecting those three laws and then uh, applying this logical conclusion above them and thank you for joining me you can find me at mean englishman on twitter and at lozymandius on blue sky you can find the podcast on twitter and instagram at asimovcast the theme music is courtesy of alexei chastillon from pixabay please email your thoughts what inspires you and where you find julian asimov to asimovcast at gmail.com Next time, I'll be covering Feminine Intuition, the last, for now, of the Susan Calvin stories. Go now. Do not harm humanity or, by inaction, 
allow humanity to come to harm.